So God's people, in the passage we're going to look at tonight, God's people were, were suffering the results of their sin. They had defied God, they had gone their own way, and God had sent prophets continually. He kept sending them over and over again, and they would, they would point out the, the error of God's people, their sinful ways, their, their, adaption, their, their, their adoption of all of the worldly things, they're, they're bringing in false gods and false ways of worship and, and they're, they're pretending that it's okay, this is all good, but, but oh, they're defying the ways of God. And so God kept reminding them and, and finally God's people, the northern kingdom fell and then the southern kingdom fell and, and God said that you're going to suffer 70 years. When the southern kingdom fell, he said, you're going to suffer 70 years of captivity. And so th this is where we're going to pick it up tonight. They're in Babylon in captivity. Th this is not a happy place. Th these are people suffering the result of their sin in a little, you know, um, micro view of this. It's kind of like, go to your room. You know, you, you smarted off to your dad or your mom and they, they said to me, Jeffrey, David, you go to your room and you think about what you've done and you, you know, like, okay, I'm going to my room and, and now I'm, I'm just stewing because I can't go do what I want to do. I am suffering the result of my sin in a really big way. They are suffering the result of their defiance to God. So what does Jeremiah tell these people that are going to be in Babylon for years. Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. We often go in Jeremiah chapter 29, we often go to verse number 11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Or what we sometimes refer to as this really good conclusion. Okay, the, keep reading the book because the end of the book is really good. So we like to get right to that, but, but we're not jumping to Jeremiah 29, 11. We're in the thick of captivity. And what does the prophet tell to, to God's people living in Babylon? This is, this is interesting. So notice what he says, verse number four, Jeremiah 29. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Okay, now remember, they're suffering the result of their sin. God says, I caused you. He acknowledges it's not the problem of the Babylonians, it's the problem of God's people. And so God said, you're going into captivity. Now look at verse number five. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And now notice verse number seven. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, 
shall ye have peace. Okay, this is quite a a staggering passage of scripture when you start to think about what it is that he's saying. He's saying, okay, listen, you are in Babylon. You're going to be there for 70 years. And Babylon is not known for its morality. Babylon's not known for its bastion of the worship of the one true God. Babylon's a heathen nation. And he just tells them, hey, listen, you're going to be there for a long time. So build some homes. Have, have a house. And then plant some gardens, uh, put some bushes out front, plant some things that you're going to enjoy uh, reaping the harvest of. And sometimes we would even wonder, should, should we even have children in this day? Aren't at times Christians asking questions like, I don't even know if we should have children in the day in which we live. He answers this question quite directly. He says, all right, listen, um, Mary, uh, have children. Listen, you, you, listen, let your children marry so that you can have grandchildren. And then he goes beyond that and he not only says, okay, he, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's set up a commune. Let's uh, isolate ourselves uh, uh, and, and let's, let's create our own little utopia within Babylon. Build the walls high. Don't let any Babylonians in. Let's just have our own little place. He doesn't do that. He says, and while you're doing all that, uh, seek the peace. Work for the benefit of the place where you are living. This is quite amazing, isn't it? Again, this is not a place. Babylon is not this place that God has promised to bless all the nations of the earth because of, this is not the place we're talking about, but God says to his people in Babylon, living in captivity, seek the peace of the place where you are currently living. We're living in these days that are unique days for us. Now, they're not unique days for mankind. They're just unique days for us. So we're living in this day when, when there's not just rumors of wars, there's, there are wars. These are challenging times. So when you start to think about what it is that's going on internationally, we, we find ourselves quite intrigued by, by wars and then what, like what wars are going to happen as a result, the rumors of wars, the wars that are happening and what are the, what's going to happen as a result of. You know, we, we hear about um, Russia and Ukraine. Um, personally, you know, we, we have people here from nations that are, are at war one with another. Um, we have people here from Myanmar and Myanmar is, is involved in a, in a, brutal civil war right now and there are there are places that are far beyond this more than this that like well there's a lot of terrible things happening and sometimes we might even be lulled into thinking that that's so far away that's never going to happen nothing like that no terrible things are going to happen to us we're okay here Um, not that long ago we we had taken a group of missionaries for a, a tour of Rocky Mountain National Park. So we'd gone up to Rocky Mountain National Park and we're, we're taking them through and it was a really spectacular day. A beautiful day and, and um, just, we, we had a great time. We saw a lot of, uh, lot of, of wildlife, um, elk and we just deer and we, we, it was a beautiful day. 
We capped off this day, we're back in, in Estes Park, which is a little city at the foot of Rocky Mountain National Park. So we're in Estes Park and we're coming out of a Starbucks. So we're, we have a, you know, some, some uh, coffee kind of drink and we're walking out and, and all of a sudden we saw some wildlife that I had never seen up in, in Rocky Mountain National Park, never seen it in Estes. And we saw a very large black bear right in Estes Park, right in, I mean, it was right there. We, we walk out and I look and there's this ridge that is right at the edge of the city. And there is a very large black bear right there. So we're looking at this thing and I mean, there's people, there's crowds gathered because here's a black bear right in town. And it was, it was pretty good size. So... Um, I was a little taken back. In fact, the park ranger started to, to, you know, hurry on the site because people were getting so close to this bear, it was actually dangerous. And this is obviously not, not like a circus bear, you know, that's going to play a banjo or something. This is a wildlife bear. So people are close to this and the, the park rangers start coming up and they're, they're cordoning off the section. Um, you know, the fastest man... I think he right now is the fastest man um, alive, and that is Usain Bolt. And um, he can run. He's been, he's been clocked at 28 miles an hour, running 28 miles an hour, which is really spectacular. Um, most men run at about eight miles an hour. I have actually been known to run 3.7 miles an hour. So Usain... A bolt, 28 miles an hour. But a black bear can run up to 37 miles an hour. That's faster than a man can run. Okay. So when these people are really close, they are unsuspecting. And I saw that bear take off and actually... I didn't see that happen, okay? So <laughs> that didn't happen. But it could have happened. And you know, sometimes I think that in... In protected environments, we think that that's never going to happen to me or it's never going to happen to us. I'm asking all of this to say, what, what should we do as it pertains to, to the city that we live in right now? The, the, the nation that we live in right now. Now I'm speaking to people that many of you, Pensacola is your home. At your home, you live here. You have, you, you did exactly what he said. You, you bought a house. You, you planted your garden, so to speak. You live in the place that um, you find yourself, you know, existing. There's people here, obviously, that live in all parts of, of the United States, but there's people here that live in a lot of different nations. What is it that we're supposed to do there's a lot of things that I find interesting about this passage of scripture. One of the things that I do find interesting is that God says, hey, listen, it's okay for you to enjoy the physical possession of things on earth. We're not going to spend a lot of time addressing that tonight. We're going we're to go a slightly different direction. But I think we would do wrong to not say that there is something about the fact that he says, I know you're in captivity I know you're suffering the result of punishment, judgment, but hey, you're going to be there for a while, so go build a house. 
Um, take possession. Uh, yeah, let your kids get married. Enjoy your grandchildren. Plant a garden and enjoy the fruits thereof. There's an old series of commentaries called the Pulpit Commentary. It's been around for a lot of years. It's a compilation of a lot of different sermons and writings that, that pastors have made from years gone by. I was looking at the pulpit commentary and there's a Reverend Jay Waite that wrote, we dishonor our Christian faith when we move about in the world timidly or gloomily as if we had no right to live in it or as if it were a mere house of bondage hedged in on all sides with painful restrictions, bound with fetters of restraint, afraid to share with a free, hearty, childlike gladness any of its innocent delights. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, stop moping around while you're here. He says, I, I know the world's filled with troublesome difficulties. I know it's filled with sin. But, but you're here right now for this time, for this place. He said, it's okay to enjoy the innocent delights that God has left along the trail as some of those little samples of more that is to come. So, so build a house. You know, plant your garden. This is not that we're connected to this world because this world's not my home, but this world is a reminder and there are good things that God has intended for you to enjoy in this world that are reminders of the world that is to come. And then he goes on and he starts to say, seek the peace, that is seek the shalom of Babylon. Seek the shalom. When we talk about Babylon, there's even prophetic things where we, we talk about Babylon, this, this great wicked city. And here God says to his people in Babylon, you seek the peace of this place, the shalom, the welfare, the prosperity, the happiness, the health. In 1803, a Baptist pastor named Andrew Fuller delivered a sermon to his congregation in Kettering, Northamptonshire. Listen to what he said when preaching on this passage. The term rendered peace signifies not merely an exemption from wars and insurrections, but prosperity in general. It amounts therefore to saying, seek the good welfare of the city. Such brethren is the conduct required of us as men and as Christians. We ought to be patriots or lovers of our own country. Huh. He's saying, okay, listen, we're, we're not talking about just the peace as in the keep us from war. He's saying, no, seek the, seek the best interest in every way of the place that God has you planted. And even representing, represented in this room, there is quite a large representation of places that you call home. And, and here he's saying, seek the best interest, not just the cessation of war, but the actual health, the benefit, the good of. Now he said, you can't use love of country. This same Andrew Fuller, this Baptist pastor back from the 1800s, early 1800s, 1803 is when he preached this message. I found this whole message from him and it was quite an interesting uh, study in history. He's saying, okay, don't use love of country as an excuse to do wrong. And then he used Greece and Rome as an excuse 
or as an example. He said, listen, what they did is they did wrong by other people because they said, well, we love our country. Listen, just because you love your country doesn't mean that you can infringe upon the rights of another country. Well, I'm trying to expand the welfare of my country. That doesn't mean that you can infringe upon the rights of other people. In fact, you know, Fuller goes on and he went on to say this. He said, oh, my country, I will lament thy faults, yet with all thy faults, I will seek thy good. Not only as a Briton, but as a Christian, for my brethren and companion's sakes, I will say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord my God, I will seek thy good. Previously, he said, listen, I'm embarrassed. I lament the fact that we have encouraged slavery. He said, that's wrong because what we've done then, and he, he expounds on this powerfully. He says, uh, we, we have infringed upon another's happiness to benefit our own. He says, that's wrong to do. But he says, there's a lot of ways you can pursue the good of your country and your own good, your own happiness, your own security, your own welfare, while not infringing upon the rights of another. He said, let's seek the welfare, the benefit of our own country. Wherever true Christianity has taken root, it has always changed its surroundings for the better. And I'm going to say that again. Wherever true Christianity has taken root, it has done something wonderfully well, wonderfully healthy. I mean, of good nature for that place where it's taken root. You're going, we're going to hear increasingly that Christianity is the problem of the day. We're going to hear increasingly that Christianity is the scourge that must be removed from the world today. Nothing could be further from the truth. Christianity is that which has actually brought prosperity, protection, freedom, to people groups that have been oppressed for years and years. Now, some might say, well, 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 Christianity has also brought about some of the crusades and some of the not true Christianity. Where true Christianity has taken root, wars have been fought. And I know it's hard for us at times to understand a just cause, but there are just causes for which to fight. And I think our nation has understood, even through our history, imperfect as it may be, that there are just causes. And we start to understand that where Christianity has really thrived, so has the society, the civilization of mankind. Under the banner of Christ, societies have been changed for the better. Christianity has inspired the abolition of slavery, modern science, the elevation and protection of women, regard for human life, great works of art and literature, the finest systems of justice, education for common people, and so much more. Even in our day, it is Christianity that is leading the cause for the value of human life and seeking to rid our land of what we can justly call the scourge, the blight of abortion. It is Christianity that sees all people as possessing human dignity because all of mankind is created as an image bearer of Almighty God. Christianity sees the value of every person. James Russell Lowell was a 19th century poet who summarized the impact of Christianity on the world. Listen to what he said. I challenge any skeptic to find a 10 square mile spot on this planet 
where they can live their lives in peace and safety and decency, where womanhood is honored, where infancy and old age are revered, where they can educate their children, where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not gone first to prepare the way. If they find such a place, I would encourage them to immigrate thither and there proclaim their unbelief. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, places on the earth where there is genuinely true freedom and the value of human life and human dignity, it has always been laid in the foundation of true Christianity. Lowell here was simply giving a powerful testimony to the impact that Christianity has had on the world wherever it's gone. So with that said, why wouldn't Christians be involved in seeking the peace of their own city, their own state, their own country? I don't know if he has been here or if he's coming, but I I saw his name on a list recently. His name is Phil Green, and he's coming. He's a, a Michigan State representative. And, and I remember him because Phil, when I was youth pastor here years ago, Phil was a youth ministries major. And so I, I got to know him years ago when I was a youth pastor and he was studying youth ministries. And when I saw his name and I've run across him, our paths have crossed over the course of years, I've known that he's served in this capacity and I thought, wow, how great is that? Here's a, here's a guy doing ministry, doing youth ministry and, and he got involved politically. When, when the first time I went to D.C. to represent a Christian school organization and served in that organization for a lot of years, the American Association of Christian Schools. So I served in that organization for many years. Our, our Christian school in Colorado was part of that. And so I served in it for a lot of years and, and served on the, on the board of that organization and, and served in, in very involved ways. The first time I went to Washington, D.C. for some of our meetings and then started to meet with with people that were elected to office, to high office, I was honestly quite taken back by the fervent, what I sensed, genuine, real faith of people serving to seek the peace of their country, their state, their areas that they were representing. I was actually taken back. I know there's a lot of corruption in Washington. I know that already. I know there's a lot of positioning and I know there's a lot of of underhanded, under the tape. I know all of that, but I also know that there are some godly people that are seeking the peace of. And And I think quite honestly, they're doing exactly what Jeremiah told the people to do while they were in Babylon. You say, well, well, America now is nothing but Babel. It, it is, it is the, the, the picture of that which is prophesied in the book of Revelation. Well, I mean, really, God's people were in literal Babylon. And he said, seek the peace of the place. A guy named Jeff Myers, he's president of Summit Ministries. It is a, a ministry that seeks to help People understand the priority of a, of a biblical view of the world. 
he started to put together some things regarding how should we interact and what are some myths that, that Christians believe about involvement in this world today or even in our government today. L- listen to a couple things. I've, I've added and modified, but, but originally these were some of Meyer's thoughts. Why don't we? Well, first of all, we believe that God doesn't care about every area of our service. If you are prone to, listen, you, you might be a person here and you say, I've, I've lived in Pensacola for a lot of years and, and um, I, I work for an accounting firm and, and um, I'm just from the area, but Campus Church is my church. And, and um, you know, boy, listen, uh, you know, Dr. Zacharias, um, listen, Pastor Young, what you guys are doing, that is so important because we need godly people to stand for the church. And you think that what they do is more important than what you do in Pensacola. I would say revisit what it is that God has called you to do because it is no less important than what God has called any other person to do. God has called all of us, remember, as those who bear the image of the Almighty to go and be salt and light, to let that light so shine we cannot fall into the thinking that, well, I'm, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a youth pastor, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a missionary, so therefore it's not all that important as to, listen, whenever we believe that God doesn't care about every area of service, we have diminished our view of the, the glory of God, not only in heaven, but here on earth. Do you remember when Isaiah had his 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 glimpse of God's holiness in Isaiah chapter 6 verse number 3 and one cried to another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts and then there's another little attachment there that's not really so little holy 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 Lord God almighty the whole earth now we might have anticipated all of heaven is filled with his glory well we get that I mean heaven Everything in heaven rotates around the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. The the angels continually magnifying the holiness of God. But the Bible says the whole earth is filled with his glory. Do you know what that means? It means to give glory, to rightly represent, to give a high opinion of. He said the whole earth filled with his glory. And you and I are image bearers. So guess, guess what? No matter what it is that you do, no matter what it is that you are prepared to do or preparing to do, you and I are to be image bearers representing the glory of God. If you're a college student here, you you should be studying with intensity because you have an image to bear in whatever area of service God has called you. And if you, if you take that lightly, you're going to step into something thinking it's just about, you know, living another day and, and turning another sale and making another dollar. And No, it's something far bigger than that. Build your house and enjoy it. Plant a garden. I mean, landscape your home. Have kids. Laugh. Enjoy meals. Good food. But all of that for a grander purpose. If that ever becomes the end, you got stuck on the thing that was supposed to point you to something higher. The house, the the food, the garden, 
all of it's supposed to point us to Beulah land. There's something, Lord, this, wow, I thank you for this, but Lord, I can't imagine how great heaven's gonna be. So don't get caught up here. Get involved. Whatever it is that you're doing, prepare to represent the one who has designed you to do a myriad of different things and in the process of doing it to represent him. Every part on earth is another opportunity to express the glory of the Lord. This would include the manner with which we serve the Lord in vocational ministry, but it would include areas of business, of nursing, mechanical engineering, writing, music, the arts, accounting, law enforcement, every area and branch of the military, education, parenting, food service, sports, on and on we could go. What area right now, pardon college students for just a moment. So if you'll, you're preparing, okay? There's a whole host of people that are in here that are like, man, you're, you're doing. Man, don't go to the print shop tomorrow thinking that, that a teacher who handles that textbook is of greater importance than the one who's actually printing them. If the whole earth is filled with his glory and you're an image bearer printing books, then man, own the fact that you are representing Almighty God with the manner with which books are being printed. It really, I mean, I, I don't know what area you wanna um, put yourself in and certainly I would miss some areas, but there is no believer, no Christian, no image bearer that is not called to bear that image with a sense of great importance because that's what we were built to do. God, God doesn't care about every area of service. It's bad thinking. And by the way, that also includes politics. God is concerned about politics. Adrian Rogers said this, it is inconceivable that God would ordain, would ordain government and then ask his people to stay out of it. That God would ordain government and then say, don't have anything to do with government. Those wicked bunch of, you know. No, God ordained government. Listen, some of you may have aspirations politically. I, I would say be a person of integrity. The greater the, the power, the greater the need for character. But go for it. Seek to rise to positions of influence. Seek to have places where you can actually have great insights into seeking the peace of the place where the Lord's given you opportunity. Since God created government, he also has intended for government to be a reflection of him. So think about it this way. All political decisions have a moral basis. The only question that remains to be answered is whose morality will be reflected? We need, we need believers to seek positions of influence in politics. You know, some, well, I don't think God's really that interested in politics. Ask King Nebuchadnezzar if God's interested in politics. Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, God gave him ample warning, opportunity, and Nebuchadnezzar just, you know, did his own thing. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Listen, Dan, that's Daniel um, 4.34. Nebuchadnezzar learned, wow, God is very interested in politics. Let, let me mention, I'm going to mention two more and we'll be done. I'll just mention 
I wish you could spend more time, but they believe it's not their responsibility. Oh, you know, I, I would get more involved, but it's not really my responsibility. You know, how many of you have ever watched someone pick up a piece of trash that wasn't theirs? Why do we respect and admire that? We respect it and we recognize there's something valuable that just took place there because, because we're understanding I have the opportunity to advance something good. Just to not, well, it wasn't my, it's not my mess. I didn't create that mess, so I'm not going to touch it. If we take, if Christians take that attitude towards all of life, where will we impact anything? Seek the peace. That means I have to be involved in things to actually advance the cause of peace. We're not told to just avoid doing bad to our enemies. The Bible says, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It's not just like, well, I'm just not gonna, I'm gonna stay out of that. I'm not gonna retaliate. He says, okay, they did bad to you, do good. Somebody made the mess, how can I help clean it up? The last one, this is, this is bad thinking. We believe that choosing the lesser of the two evils is evil. Sometimes that's why people don't get involved in their government. Well, it's all a mess. And, you know, how many of you have ever been, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been in a, what you called a moral dilemma because both candidates were really bad? Okay. And you said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, be involved because they're both bad and, um, well, is one worse than the other? Slightly, okay. But they're both bad, and so I'm just staying out of the whole mess because, you know, George Bernard Shaw said, I learned long ago never to wrestle with a pig. You get dirty, and besides, the pig likes it, you know. So stay away from that whole mess because if you get involved, you're just going to get up, you know, be a mess yourself. For us to say that politics is evil, so I'm not going to get involved, is to be honest, what we might say is somewhat arrogant. Well, there, it's, I, you know, to just vote for, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils because I'm still voting for evil. Do you know what we're really saying? We're saying I'm not evil. So I would only vote for perfection or I would vote for that which is as perfect as me. Do you understand that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils because, because they're both evil. Well, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. So if you wait for the ideal perfect candidate, will you ever truly have that? Well, I just don't know if I'm good enough to be involved in. No, get, get involved. Don't not engage in seeking the peace because, well, I just, it's all corrupt. It's all evil. You really haven't sought to be, I'm just staying out of the whole thing completely. No, engage. Run for office. Hold people that are elected to office accountable. Pick up the phone. Send a text. Uh, shoot an email. Get involved. As a nation, we're watching war unfold before our eyes. Most as observers 
desire peace between nations at war. When rightly engaged, our involvement in our own home, wherever that might be, becomes a platform upon which Christians can engage their sphere of influence and even expand their influence. We value liberty today, but we must have virtue to protect and guide that liberty. Edmund Burke once said, but what is liberty without wisdom and without virtue? It is the greatest of all possible evils, for it is folly, vice, and madness without teaching or restraint. I know we live in an evil day, and I know we, we oftentimes have governments that are sadly corrupt. But you and I are told, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. May we seek the peace of the place that we have the privilege to call home.